Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and today I'm extremely excited, and it's not just because, once again, Rory K. Smith is not here. Uh, he's up in uh, he's up in Sheffield, perhaps. Uh, do you know what he's doing there, Hughesy? I thought you might, because you're from Yorkshire, right? Uh, no. Anyway, as you've gathered, Matt Hughes is here with us as well, and he's right here, real live, in the studio, as well as Julian Lawrence, and... For the very first time, I am extremely excited to meet a new voice to the game podcast. A man I first met, here I'm showing my age, I think uh, 19 years ago. Oh, that's, that's, oh. That, that's scary. It's from, uh, at, a, at a Chelsea press conference uh, near near Heathrow, back at the old uh, Harlington training ground. It's Henry Winter. Welcome to you, Henry. Hi. Coming up, we'll be talking Spurs in Chelsea and Premier League uh, capacity. But first, let's focus on a certain Midlands-based goal machine. And, crazy as it sounds, a top-of-the-table clash. Okay, so Leicester play Manchester United, finishes 1-1. We're going to talk uh, in a minute about the game. But I want to start, since we've got the luxury of having Henry here, who just spoke to him. Jamie Vardy, he's now one goal away from setting a new record. See what I did there, Husey? I'm respecting the fact that football existed before 1992. Uh, no, he scored in his 11th consecutive game. It breaks the Premier League record, and he's one away from uh, uh, Jimmy Dunn's uh, all-time record set with uh, Sheffield United back in 1931. Actually, maybe that's, that's what Rory's right. doing. Maybe he's tracking down... Jimmy Dunn. Jimmy Dunn. I, I, I'd be surprised <laughs> if Jimmy Dunn were still... In fact, I actually looked him up Wikipedia. I think he died in the late 40s. You spoke to Jamie Vardy. Henry, we, we have sort of a, a, a basic narrative with him. When he was younger, he didn't quite make it at first because he was too small, and then because he had serious disciplinary issues. I believe I read that he, uh, he actually went and played in games with um, one of those... Uh, ankle bracelets that they, they give you if you're uh, those monitoring, police monitoring devices. Is this just a case of somebody who, who had serious issues and now has kind of resolved them? Well, the reason why he had the electronic tack was that, uh, you know, as, as he says, he was standing up for a friend uh, who was being verbally abused outside a pub, a friend who had uh, hearing difficulties. So that's, that's a Jamie story. But the fact is, is that he had to wear an electronic tag, and it, there was a six o'clock curfew. 
So there were games where he was taken off um, midway through the second half and he had to sort of sprint out, jump over fence, pop into his uh, his parents' waiting car and, you know, make sure he was back home in time for the curfew. Being rejected by Sheffield Wednesday, as you say, for being too small, for having to, 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 to work, you know, live in the, in the normal world as a civilian, as footballers would call it. All of that has just added to this momentum, this desire, this reaction to adversity that is seeing him, you know, breaking records. And if you stand close to Jamie Vardy. He is one of the most... He's like Matt Hughes. He is just so fit. He is so gaunt. He could just run and run and run. He's a great role model for, for many of the kids. As, as Rio Ferdinand tweeted after he broke uh, Ruben Nieselroy's record, a message to all the kids out there, believe, don't give up. It's a great story which, is, which chimes with a lot of fans, whether Leicester or elsewhere. What gets me about his... Uh, so, so Jamie Vardy thing prompted a, a, a debate, uh, Matt, about oh, look, there's talent in the conference. All you Premier League clubs, go look at non-league. Does that really apply here, though? Because this is somebody who they looked at, and then, for better or worse, at 16, they decided he wasn't right. And it's not as if, you know, he, he just kind of disappeared, but he was still playing football for, for, for several years at, at different levels and scoring tons of goals. And I think, again, he had, apart from the electronic tag, he seemed to, to get have some disciplinary issues, red cards, whatever. I mean, is this a case of especially your local clubs in in Yorkshire dropping the ball, or are there more Jamie Vardy's realistically out there? Well, the the risk of being Yorkshire centric doesn't reflect well on Sheffield Wednesday, Leeds, Sheffield United, Huddersfield Town. The um, well, you guys had Andy Booth, great so. clubs of the the broad acres that, we, that they didn't spot him because he clearly has talent, and despite having initial problems, a, a impressive attitude. Probably no coincidence that all those four clubs have been pretty dreadful for the last 20 years. The, the Yorkshire presence in the Premier League is non-existent. I think it's, it's, it's heartening. It shows there's a, there's a pathway through to the top of the game that doesn't involve coming through the academies that we hear so much about, which is kind of refreshing. It also shows that players develop at different rates. If you don't make it by 21, you're not necessarily finished. And um, maybe some clubs need to um, take that lesson on board. Henry, I, I spoke to somebody because I, I was curious. This is a couple of weeks ago. I, I spoke to somebody who's involved with uh, with this so-called Big Four, Big Six club, and I asked them about Vardy, and they said the problem was that you know the feeling was that he's kind of one-dimensional in the sense that it would be difficult for him to move to an Arsenal or a Manchester City because of his style of play because. If you're on a team that that's sort of playing at the edge of the opposition box, as, as the big clubs often do, you know, he's not necessarily going to have the same impact. And he pointed out, as you saw last season, when, when he plays wide, he's not necessarily the same kind of player. Do, do you agree with that assessment? I, I, I don't. I think he's he's developed, he's worked at his game. I mean, if he gets called one-dimensional, I mean, it's quite a, quite a dimension. <laughs> he true. scores, he's quick, and he closes down centre-halves. He can play wide. I mean, he's, he, he'll do it for the team, as he, as he showed when Hodgson has, has played him out there. But, he, you know, he's best as a number nine playing through the, the middle. You know, he can play out front on his own. He can play in a partnership. He's far more versatile. He will look at defenders. He looked at Smalling. He analysed Smalling's game and worked out how he could get uh, either side of him. Um, obviously, the goal came from when Darmian sort of moved, moved across and they counterattacked. Left the counterattack quickly. But uh, to call him one-dimensional is, is, I think, a little bit harsh on someone who's breaking all these records. Do you see him at a, at a top-six club? And if so, where would he be a good fit? 
I'm not sure yet. I think you know he's, he's sort of well. Getting yeah, he's 28. Age. Yeah, he's either going to move. Yeah, in now, the next 12 months, or, or probably won't happen. I don't know. I, I I see I see the point of the in terms of being one dimension. I see Henry's point as well of you know it's a hell of a dimension then, but still, I'm I'm still not sure he's a he's a Champions League player. You know, I I don't know yet. I'm I've seen a lot of good things from him. I, I don't know if he can hold the ball well. You know, playing I don't know for a club like Chelsea, for example. I'm not sure. That would that would suit him. I don't know if he would be well in the whole sort of maybe Ozil, Alexis Sanchez movement game of Arsenal either. I think he needs a team that you know plays a lot on the counter attack. That's what Leicester do, and you know a lot of the top four teams don't do that. I kind of agree with Jules, and it's interesting what he's saying, and I think it's most interesting because the thoughts and issues he's articulating are probably what's going to be going on in Jamie Vardy's head for the next six months. He's got 18 months left on his contract. His next contract probably the last one potentially the last one of his career certainly the last big chance to get a move but is he good enough does he think he's good enough does he go to Chelsea and sit on the bench does he go to United sit on the bench Keep he wants to keep playing he's in such a rich vein of form does he risk going now and jeopardise his potential place in the England squad for France next year it's difficult the, the problem is we, we, we haven't got enough evidence to make a decision on really he's had an amazing an amazing six months a very good 18 months beyond that very very little when he played for England I thought he froze a bit really he was, I thought he was poor admittedly he was playing wide left but he was playing against Lithuania he should have been able to do more than he did so the honest answer is I don't know I'm not sure many clubs do he will get offers because he's English and he's in form but he'll be expensive but Gab just one thing on can he step up I take Julian's point about you know about is he a Champions League player but actually if you look at Vardy's game and that pace of getting in behind defenders and he's worked how to time his runs if he had the service that could be provided by someone like an Ozil, who you see the passes that he's played through to, uh, to Theo Walcott when Walcott's played through the middle, or if he went to a Chelsea and he played and ran on to the sort of service that Hazard and Oscar and William can play through, or particularly Fabregas can play through the middle, I think you would see Vardy certainly not being scared of playing Champions League football. Very little scares him. I agree with Matt's point that he, he froze with England. I think it was uh, it was a sort of more positional thing. I'm going to throw something out there then, uh, leave you to mull over. Uh, Matt, you can weigh in on this since you, you have your, your, your finger more on the pulse of transfers. But I can think of a club in North London that had saved up around £25 million to buy a very pacey, high-energy English striker only for the deal to fall apart on the last day of the transfer window. Uh, and they probably still need a guy who can play centre-forward. Do you want to guess who I'm talking about? I think you're talking about Tottenham, aren't you? Um, <laughs> I'm wondering. I mean, they, they, that, do, they, they need a centre-forward. The they... money's there, right? And the nice thing about him, you could, you could play Kane behind. And they don't play on the counter so much, but they do play this sort of high-energy pressing game. And a guy like Vardy, who is quick and can run all day... Maybe he could adapt to that more easily than, than another club. And the pressure would be lower playing for Tottenham than it would for Chelsea or Man U because they're not absolutely have to get in the top four, although that's an aspiration. Yeah, that would make sense, but I would equally be concerned if I was Vardy about not getting games because Harry Kane is going to play every week. Just just one last thing on, on Vardy. I was really surprised on Saturday how few service he got. When you've got someone like him who scored for 11 games in a row, who could shoot from the halfway line and score... Why doesn't he get more service from Mares? From there's that counter attack where Mares gave the ball to Ushua in the second half, and Ushua then it yeah. was a good first touch, and then De Gea made the save. But Vardy is there as well. I would give the ball to Vardy every single time, 
every single if I was a Leicester player if I was Ranieri I would say that just give him the ball just just give him the ball and then whether he's you know in behind or or he's in his feet or whatever but just give him the ball the guy is walking on water and I was surprised they didn't use him more really against United I was really surprised so you, that you're obviously somebody who believes in momentum and heart streaks and all this yeah, stuff yeah yeah I mean you know it's all that metaphysical it's hot junk not not just that I just think like he's so high on confidence that he he would try anything and score a bit like what Kane was was doing last season with, with Spurs and Spurs gave him the ball a lot every time you know he was in a position let's talk about somebody who, who doesn't seem to be on the same level of confidence as Vardy uh, and that's the uh, the captain Wayne Rooney Henry I want to get your take on this because with Van Hal, you, you sometimes get you know he keeps saying he keeps pointing to the league table and his clean sheets and you get you know these Woodward and these other little people coming out and saying we're building something or whatever and then you go and you play freaking Leicester away you change the system to a back three and I'm thinking like I can understand you tinkering when you're going to 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 play Barcelona or Bayern Munich I kind of feel like at this stage after 18 months of of Van Hal you would have a system where you're comfortable enough that you can kind of do your own thing and you don't need to change it specifically for this game. What's your take and why do you think he did it? Did he do it because he thought that an extra body back there would help stop Vardy or did he do it because he felt Rooney was better off with Martial alongside him? Well, definitely in terms of the the, the former. We spoke to Chris Smalling after the game and uh, he was saying they they had worked and then Van Gaal, for all the criticism of him, he does so much work on scouting the opposition, preparing the players defensively, and that's why Smith Smalling said they were so frustrated because they got beaten on a counter-attack. So they've been working all week to guard against that. And he played three centre halves again to guard against Pardy, and Damian got uh, got cool, caught pulled over and, uh, and and didn't react properly. So uh, sorry, he played three at the best. Sorry, you, you, you're confirming this. He he's the Manchester United manager. He goes to play Leicester, mm. Leicester with with Danny Drinkwater and Mark Albrighton and all these guys who are doing fantastic this season, but they're still Leicester. He's the Manchester United uh, uh, manager with a higher net spend than God, and he designs a whole system to stop Jamie Vardy on the counterattack. And it didn't work. I mean, that that was the understanding from the United dressing room because you know we were sort of asking United people exactly why they played uh, three at the back. Um, in terms of Rooney and Martial, I, I prefer Martial Central. I know he was a drifty wide and cutting in, but you know, just just get him in the box and get Rooney in the number ten position, and don't get him tracking back because I mean Rooney will do that because he's a selfless individual. But you know, if you've got Schweinsteiger and Carrick holding there, you don't really need Rooney to drop back on top of them. So if Rooney, if people appreciate Rooney is a number ten, let him play in there and and keep him as high up the pitch as possible and and close to a Martial. Do you then have a matter problem, or you, do, or you think problem. are you okay with him wide? Yeah, and you have a matter problem. You also have a Herrera problem when Herrera comes back in because I mean, you know, I walked into the ground with some on Saturday with some Manchester United fans, and they were just shaking their heads at frustration that Herrera was still injured. Matter's obviously hugely popular, but of course matter cuts in, which then can leave uh, Damian ex- exposed outside. I mean, look, Van Gaal is a good manager. Gab, we've had this conversation so many times down the years. I think you were there in Vienna in, in 95, you know, when he's Ajax team and, you know, he, he changed the game from the bench, you know, against the fantastic, you know, with Kleiber coming and all that. You know, those, and he's, he's proven along the, along the years, you saw the substitutions, the tactical changes he made uh, during the World Cup with Holland. There's a fantastic manager there. So I would give him a little bit more time, but I understand the impatience, the attack, attack, attack philosophy from the fans. 
but this is a good manager. You know, people say Manchester United crisis or whatever. You know, they're not doing too badly in two of the major competitions. Julian, you're you're a big fan of of Louis Van Gaal. I mean, is do you think Henry's right? Is is it is it fair to question him? I think so. I think he's sad, and I'm not going to say the F word again <laughs> about him like I did last season, but. I've, I've just given up. I was so disappointed on Saturday again. And someone needs to explain to me how a back three is better to defend against one striker. Because it just, it just doesn't make sense for me how, yes, let's play three at the back because it would be better against Vardy. And then, you know, you work on the counter-attack. You still get, I, I just don't know what he does. I can't see anything. I can't see his touch. I can't see his idea. I can't see his philosophy. I can't see anything. I don't know what they do all week, but there's nothing I can see in the, champ- <coughs> sorry, in the Champions League in midweek. It was poor on Saturday. I thought it was so dull. It was just poor. There's no rhythm. There's no energy. There's no momentum. There's just nothing in that team. And surely, I think, I've, I, I get you about the results. I think this team, whatever the manager would get resolved, it's, it's a very, very talented team and it's a very expensive team as well, or squad even. So they would get resolved, I think, with anyone. But I, th- I think that other managers will make them play much better than he does, for sure. Henry, we're going to move on, but you get to participate in our ongoing Insta poll. <laughs> Who's going to finish higher this season, Leicester or Chelsea? I still think Leicester. I still think it's interesting this whole, I mean, the, the fans were bullying on Saturday after they scored, Vardy scored. The Leicester fans were chanting, we are staying up. And they've still got this sort of focus on the 40 points. And I talked to Ranieri and Vardy about this, and I said, is this focus on 40 just actually slightly dangerous? Because the moment you get to 40, that's your comfort blanket. Will you then take your foot off the accelerator? And Vardy laughed, and he said, you do not know this, this group of players, then we are so hungry to, to go on and push for it. You know, we were out there in Monaco when uh, there were certain things being said about Ranieri in the, in the Champions League semi-final when he was at Chelsea. And Ranieri's got a point to prove. And, you know, I mean, I misjudged him when he came at the start of the season. I thought he was another tinkerman. But you forget, there's an Italian coach there, and he was making this point on Saturday night. He said, the players have got this call. We've got this. We've got the camaraderie. We've got Vardy. But remember, I'm Italian, an Italian coach. I will organise them. And you looked at them on Saturday, and they're incredibly well-organised teams. Moving on to uh, North London, it's Tottenham and Chelsea. Matt, Mourinho says this was the best performance of the season from the men in blue, possibly excluding uh, Maccabi Haifa at home. I want to ask you, was this a good performance or is it simply that the bar has been set so impossibly low this season that it's like a limbo bar for Smurfs? It doesn't take much to uh, to raise the, uh, raise the level. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Mourinho's damned his players with the faintest of praise yesterday. It was a reasonable performance. It was a better performance than we've seen recently, but it was, you know, in a way performance, working hard, trying not to lose. Obviously, they did create chances and Hazard and Oscar did threaten, but it was by no means the performance of a team of aspirations to, to win the title or even the challenge for the top four. Having said that, having, having looked back at the games they've won, they didn't play well in those either, so it probably was the best performance of the season. Yeah, I actually thought some of their better performances came in, in, in games that they lost, yeah, like, like Stoke, Stoke and, yeah. and West Ham. Yeah, Henry, do you do you concur with uh, with Matt's analysis? Yeah, I do. They've got the Costa problem to sort out, Chelsea. But you know, I'm a, I'm a Mourinho admirer. I mean, I'm not a fan of you know the antics towards you know assuming there's a conspiracy around every corner. But you know, he's he's a fantastic manager. And players respond to their issues in the dressing room. I think the handling of the, the younger players, I think Matt's have raised that on several occasions, like Loftus Cheek. They clearly need a striker. They need Diego Costa to have a long, hard look at himself in the mirror and get properly fit and properly focused. 
and staying in the box, whether that's a tactical thing, he's ordered to sort of drift wide or whatever, but he's so much more effective when he's in the box. You know, he's got, he can bring the ball down and he's got that. He can ease or muscle his way past centre-halves. He has, he's a very canny player in the box and he needs to be there and do so much more damage for Chelsea there than, than playing out wide. So they need, I still think they need a fit, strong Terry because I still think he's a, he's a leader. I don't think you can discard that sort of experience too freely but look betting against Mourinho is a dangerous game what I loved about Mourinho and Pochettino is one said we deserve more than a point and one said we deserve to win as well <laughs> just like okay. well actually yeah I was going to get to Diego Costa <laughs> because like... we put it all over the papers but we'll get to Diego Costa in a minute but let's address that because I kind of looked at the chances created I thought you can say Hazard had the best chance and Man Hugo Lloris did quite well but Son, Son as well Son's but by the same token yeah I Spurs had more chances. I, is there, is there I, something I w- wrong about saying it's a draw is a fair? Did they do they say that for the fans? I don't. I, I don't get the point of like saying yeah we deserve to win. No, we deserve to win. No, we deserve. No, no, we deserve to win. No, no, we deserve to win. Like no one deserves to win. It was a good. It was a draw. It was a fair result. You know, it was a draw. Neither teams I think they didn't have to get a win. So just say that yeah, it, you know, it's a point. We would have liked to win, fair enough, but we couldn't. But it's stupid for both of them to say we deserve to win. Most managers have very, very selective vision and very <laughs> selective memory. They'll remember their chances and forget the True. others. I, I thought yesterday draw was, as you say, a very fair result. Chelsea had the better chances. Tottenham had more chances. So who wins the sort of moral victory on that? I don't know. We're going to get to Diego Costa because in midweek... Were, were you there? At- in uh, Haifa, I was, yeah. yeah. Can you tell us what happened at halftime? Uh, well, just before halftime... Because this is, this is sort of the prologue, or, or some people are seeing it as the prologue. Well, it goes back even beyond that. It goes back to the Norwich game last Saturday where Hazard crossed for Costa. He wasn't there. Mourinho sort of went crazy and mimicked Matt Mimes tapping the ball into the net, sort of inferring Costa had forgone an open goal by not getting onto the end of the cross. Very similar thing happened just before half-time in Haifa on Wednesday. Hazard crossed the ball. Costa didn't attack it, so there was no one there. Had, Mourinho had a go at him. Costa had a go back and sort of there were m- much finger waving and pointing as they gested, as they left the pitch at half time at half time there were rumours went around the stadium that Costa was going to refuse to come back onto the pitch for the second half which I don't know where they came from transpired not to be the case and he did come out in the second half didn't play particularly well but played um, majority of the rest of the game and then on Sunday Mourinho took the decision not to, not to pick him for the first time in his Chelsea career and he said before the match that he was fit but he was lacking confidence which clearly true and then um, Costa went through this sort of pantomime on the bench of um, well firstly not doing the pre-match warm-up and then going through this sort of charade of twisting and stretching his ankle in a sort of most half-hearted way just before the game just before the end of the game then he returned to the bench and threw his bib over his shoulder in a sort of fit of peak nearly hit Mourinho and then he, apparently within 10 minutes of the final whistle he was sat on the team bus on his own for half an hour so it was a, a classic, a classic, sorky striker performance. <laughs> there, there, um, there's a wonderful vine, by the way, of the reactions from the people around Diego Costa when it happens, and, and Mikel is laughing, yeah. cracking up. Henry, I mean, we can go and talk about you know striker needing confidence and you know Hazard as a false nine, blah blah blah. But this is a game where Lloyd Remy was given the day off. I believe he became uh, he became a father. A game where Radamel Falcao. Nobody talks about it, but I think we all know what's going on. And you only have Diego Costa left. Uh, 
And by you not starting him, you're sending a very obvious message, which surely goes beyond the issue of, 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 of saying, well, you're just you know, a bit short on confidence, so I'll go and I'll play a formation I've never, uh, and a system I've never played before. By you not starting him, and also then coming up afterwards and saying it was the best performance of the season. I mean, that's a double whammy to, uh, to Diego. So why is he doing this? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think he's trying to provoke a reaction, which is <laughs> unlike Mourinho. Um, I think he's just trying to shake Costa back into the player he was last season, back into a more professional mindset, work on his fitness, work on his game, start picking the right fights rather than the wrong ones, and just get him back going again. But it would not surprise me in the least to see in the build-up to the January transfer window, and particularly next summer, Chelsea being heavily linked with a, with a top-class replacement. It's frustrating because you know we saw Costa in his prime at Atletico Madrid and he was just unplayable. And remember the game there with Chelsea and he was striding off the pits like a gunslinger and all the Chelsea fans were saying, Diego Costa, we'll see you next year. And it just looked like a marriage made in heaven. He apparently walked into the dressing room, said to John Terry, you know, let's go to war with the opposition. Um, and now he seems at war with, with elements of the club. And that's frustrating. Maybe he's a moody individual. But you just look at his background, the, you know, his, his upbringing, some of the clubs he's played for. You know, th- this is a fairly strong character who's fought through some difficult situations before. So this show of petulance is frustrating, but I think you know, for the benefit of everyone, for the team, for the Chelsea fans, for Costa's own career and Mourinho's short term, he, they, those two need to sort it out. And if there's an aggressive dynamic between them that works, that involves throwing bibs, that involves or shouting at each other, and Costa is then stirred up to, to, to play on the pitch and deliver, then then great. So I don't have. I mean, I hear all sorts of stories about sort of you know storms and dressing room bust ups and things like that. But that goes on in all clubs. But it only really becomes an issue if if the, if the team aren't winning. I think it's good if you know any workplace if if people actually uh, voice their disagreements because that's going to make the, the the team better rather than stay quiet in the corner and let it fester. 
if Mourinho and Costa have a, a shouting match and then Costa then is shaken into life, then great. But I do think the responsibility is predominantly on Costa to, to source himself out and also for, for Chelsea to, to start improving that service to, to, to him, which was lacking at the start of the season with Hazard and Fabregas off the pace. Hughesy, we, 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 we talked about this. And, and if you view this through the, through the transfer lens, Chelsea made a twenty-three million pound loss. I think uh, it was announced uh, from last season. We're in an era of financial fair play, and obviously not all those losses will count against it. But you know, the, despite people for some reason continuing with the stupid line that, oh look, it's it's loosened up. Well, it hasn't loosened up. It's it's actually tighter because you're allowed maximum of thirty million euros losses over over three years. Not. Chelsea's entire loss won't count against FFP, but still, there are going to be more restrictions. Presumably, they can't count uh, on Champions League income next season. Presumably, they'll finish lower in the league than they finished last year or indeed the year before, so they'll get slightly less Premier League income as well, although Premier League distribution is more flat. They're going to have to replace several players, obviously, you know, John Terry isn't getting any younger uh, at some point. They'll, they'll need to replace Falcao, which you're going to do with Bamford, Solanke type things, but it's unlikely when, uh, when Mourinho's still there. That, that scenario where they somehow ditch Costa and go and spend in the 50, 60 million pounds range for a centre forward, that, that's not really realistic, is it? Well, probably not directly like that, but I mean, they, what they could do, they could send Costa back to Madrid and get Griezmann, who they're very keen on, and Pay twenty million, I suppose, something to given Griezmann's the man in form. Okay, sorry, I got to jump in here. Right? <laughs> okay, so leaving aside the fact that they're extremely different players, and Griezmann's not the target sure. man that Costa is, and that Mourinho often likes to play with. Griezmann's what four years younger than Costa, and I think he makes, I'm guessing, a third of what Costa makes. And I know that things at Atletico Madrid and in that universe involving you know who. Things are often a little bit difficult to read. Well, they're quite easy to read. Or <laughs> easy to read, to depending read. where you come from. But surely the, the Atletico wouldn't be jobbed like that. And like, oh yeah, we'll take the guy who's older and grumpy and has the hamstring and the and the anger management issues. And we bought Jackson Martinez to replace him. And we him. just bought Jackson Martinez to replace him. And then we'll go and, yeah, you want Griezmann? There you go. You really think that's, that's realistic? <laughs> well, I didn't say it was going to happen. I said it's possible. And obviously Chelsea would have to pay... The difference, if you see what I mean. Uh, of course, the other thing they could do, they do have other, other assets that are worth more than £20 million. If they could sell Eden Hazard, they could sell Oscar, which would raise raise money to replenish the squad. Uh, I mean, the biggest problem they need to address, ultimately, is replacing John Terry, which is going to cost them a, lo- a lot of money. We haven't talked Spurs because we talked about them until we were blue in the face uh, last week, but uh, Henry wasn't with us last week, so to perhaps to preempt a flood of angry tweets and emails from uh, Spurs supporters saying that we're neglecting them. Uh, Henry, can you bail us out with a 45-second summation of Tottenham? Well, I almost get the impression that Pochettino is picking two teams at the moment, Spurs and England. I mean, the, the, the development of, uh, of Eric Dyer and Deli Ali. Ali was suspended at the weekend, but you know the, you can see Pochettino's impact on Lamelo, on Dembele, on on Kane. You know, Alderweireld has been one of the the, the best signings certainly uh, this year they just look good they don't look like Spurs to me they don't look like a cup team anymore they look like a team that can compete for you know a Champions League position and maybe higher up as long as they can keep hold of Pochettino because he's an outstanding coach tactically man management personality everything about him exudes class
Moving on to our debate this week. Henry, I believe it was your your first story for The Times, or certainly uh, one of your, I think you had several stories on Saturday, but one of them was a story about Greg Dyke pushing for the Premier League to go down to 18 clubs. Now, I guarantee that somebody at some point will crack the joke that turkeys don't vote for Christmas, so let's try not to do that. But can you tell us a little more about <laughs> about Dyke and whether does he actually believe that this is something that he can do, or is it just something he'd like to see but he knows is never going to happen well he's the leader and the chairman of the football association and as we know he's had this england commission looking to various elements to improve the pathway of, of young players to the, uh, the the national team and he feels and this was the original reason why the premier league was set up by the football association in terms of encouraging the clubs to leave the football league in 92 was to help the national team it was originally 22 and they wanted to get it went down to 20 in in 95 mainly because of a fifa decree and then um, the plan was always for it to go down to 18, which was FA policy. Now, the FA at the moment is is split. There is a group which is very, pretty much led by Martin Glenn, the new chief executive, you know, a very impressive individual who's worked in marketing and also our, our old friend Leicester City for a while. They're sort of very pro sort of Premier League and, and sort of wanting to make sure the Premier League is sort of happy with, with things. So I think there was a certain disgruntlement uh, about Greg Dyke uh, su- su- suggesting this. I think that it's very unlikely to happen, as you say, our old feathered friends and and, uh, and festive times <laughs> not uh, not getting involved in the electoral process, but also the fact that the broadcasting deals have been done quite a long time in advance, the fact that the Premier League will probably want to in return for FA Cup replays, all of them to be scrapped, the fact that they may also want the sort of League Cup semi-finals to become one-legged affairs. So I, I think that there are many impediments, but I think Greg Dyke should be applauded for thinking it. I think there's certain... I'm sure if you asked Pochettino and said, uh, would you like a smaller um, Premier League and a little bit more time to prepare for European games, he'd say yes. Okay, so we, we generally agree that it's going to be very difficult to implement this, but I have very strong views on this, which I'll share in a minute. But, Husey, would you like to see it? Would an 18-team Premier League be beneficial to the English game? Well, I think it would be potentially beneficial because there'd be fewer games and maybe a winter break and more time for training, um, more time for developing young players. But it's never going to happen, and I'm not really you know, sure. We agreed it's not going to happen, but should it happen? <laughs> well, I'm more, interested in, I'm more interested in the FA politics and whether Greg Dyke has proposed this with any um, any belief it's going to happen. Because we can all sit around and have great ideas, but if, if there's no hope of bringing him into action, then he's no better than Jeremy Corbyn and he's sort of drawing up a wish list, wish list of socialist fantasy. Well, he's Greg, Greg, Dyke, Corbyn, Greg, Greg Dyke, um, in his England commission, he's proposed quotas... B-teams? B-teams... And now this, none of them are going to happen. All he's, all he's got at the end of it is these regional hubs, which are paid for by making FA staff redundant. So I think he's had a complete nightmare. <laughs> Henry? Yeah, I think he should be applauded for actually addressing the issue. I mean, we've been writing about it for, for, for years. I mean, everyone's been writing about it. The, you know, the, the pathway, the problems for, that English players have, the fact that we're, we're pretty hopeless at tournaments. So at least Greg Dyke deserves some praise for uh, for actually going out and, and addressing it, rather than the, the majority of the FA who just sort of you know sit in their committees and 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 drink tea. So I, I quite like that. I, I think that if if there is any possibility, it's that the Premier League will see this as an opportunity to bring in a Premier League two and to market that and take the sort of you know the bigger names of the Championship, say so like a sort of you know, the Leeds and Middlesbrough and Middlesbrough could well go up. 
but to have to have that I could see them wanting to market that around the world which of course would be a nightmare for the football league and then if you had an 18 and a well two 18s sort of 36 strong Premier League split into two I think that would be good I think one of the problems would also be if, if it's two up two down I think there'll be uh, you know the, the football league might uh, react towards that and the fact that if you did go to an 18 club you know at some point as in 95 you'd have to have four going down and that'll be quite uh, quite controversial five going down effectively the Bundesliga has 18 clubs obviously it seems to be quite a good league and there's a, there's a few clubs in France especially the bigger clubs who want to go down to 18 as well because that means more money from TV rights if you have to divide by 18 instead of 20 it makes more money for yeah. certain clubs that's a really good point Because and I'm sorry if I jump in there. Because no, this is one of those things when people bring up the, the issue of fouls not voting for Christmas, they, they kind of sort of fail to grasp this basic context. So if you go down to 18 teams, you would lose four rounds, but presumably you would lose four of my least favorite rounds, which are those crappy random midweek fixtures that they they just have to kind of cram in there simply because they they need to, to, to play 38 games in a season. Those games aren't fan-friendly because they're, they're in the evenings, and that means that if you have kids, if you have a job, you know, you're not going to be able to travel to away games unless you have the kind of BS jobs we all have. It, it's, uh, there's fewer, fewer chances to, throw, to show games on television because they're not showing five games uh, a weekend. Uh, they're only showing, you know, best-case scenario, two. I don't even think that they get that from the broadcaster's perspective, they get that much benefit out of it. You could actually make it as lucrative, if not maybe even slightly more lucrative, for the clubs that are in the Premier League. I agree. And, and the, the issue that a lot of clubs also have, like Henry just said, is that two will go down and smaller clubs... Well, what they do in Germany, for example, yeah, which I, I think is really exciting, and I think it's, it's kind of neat. You, the, the bottom two go down, and then the team that finishes third from bottom plays off against a team that finished third from top in the um in, in the second flight. That's pretty good. Exciting in or out games for survival. What do you make of that, Henry? I can see yeah, I can see the attraction of it, the jeopardy element of it, and I can see the Premier League uh, playing that in in Melbourne or or somewhere in India or somewhere in America or Latin America because I still think the 39th game is, is bubbling away there and they would love to have a, a game like that, a high-profile game where there's a jeopardy on it, where there's a huge prize at stake. It's not just a glorified friendly as you see with you know, some of the, the, the trophy matches that the Premier League organised in the Far East. So, yeah, I could, I could see the attraction of that. Husey, if the argument is going to be to, to, to develop English players... Presumably, you need more training. I mean, I think we all speak to managers, and they all complain about there not being enough time during the season, and all you do is try to maintain fitness and avoid injury, and you don't get enough training sessions because you're traveling and blah, blah, blah. Now, the counter-argument to that is the minute that you give clubs a little more time, they go off on, on weirdo tours, or you know, they, they go and they, they play in, in the golf or, or whatever else. So it's kind of like, Well, when you do have more time, all you do is you go and travel more. Is this something that's inev inevitable, that if you do go down and they have more time to train, they'll simply go and use it for more tours and friendlies and exhibitions? Yeah, almost certainly. We, I mean, we have the biggest clubs like Man City, for example. They often go away in January. Or they obviously have their, um, their run from Abu Dhabi, so um, they go there. Their city could go to Australia or America where they've got partner clubs. Um, I don't think training is, a, is the issue, actually, with regard to youth development. I think the biggest obstacle is giving young players game time. Ru Ruben Loftus-Cheek 
he gets great training 12 months a year, whether it be at Chelsea, England. What he doesn't get is moments on the pitch. I think the academies have really improved the uh, the training of young players. It's just getting them tested in a meaningful environment against technically good players rather than dropping down a couple of divisions to the Football League. That's the issue, not, not how many training sessions they've got. I think Greg Dyke should focus on trying to convince the Premier League to have a winter break more than going yeah, down agreed. to 18 club or something like that. I think that would be more crucial for me to have to give them a rest. Have Boxing Day, because this is special, I understand that and everything, and then give them 10 days off. You know, I don't know, scrap the first weekend in the FA Cup, for example, and all those super games. They could play, they could play in the FA Cup in November, the third round in November, and just bring everything else forward. I agree that the sort of, it feels like we almost have a midwinter break anyway, because after the January game, there's always that 10 days FA Cup and rarely holds our interest. Yeah. How about some quick hits? Manchester City get their first win since October, beating Southampton 3-1. But Henry, it was kind of hard work, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was, but uh, there's good news on the horizon. I mean, David Silva is, is back fit. De Bruyne is uh, is playing well. Seven goals, six assists in the in the Premier League. They reacted well to the uh, 4-1 defeat to uh, Liverpool. They need company fit because they miss his leadership, and they also need Joe Hart fit as, as well. It's not all doom and gloom at City. Arsenal are held in Norwich, and the uh, injuries mount up. There are doubts over Casorla and Koscielny, as well as Alexis Sanchez. Julian, Wenger got a lot of stick on Match of the Day 2 for playing Sanchez when supposedly he already had some kind of uh, uh, hamstring issue. Now, uh, unlike Rude Hullet and uh, Danny Murphy, I'm not a doctor. I don't, not sure you are, but I'm assuming you're going to pile on uh, as well, right? No, I'm not. He's your best player. He tells you if he's fit. He tells you he's 100%. He tells you he wants to play and Alexis Sanchez wants to play every single game, every single minute of every training session all the time. He wants to run with his dogs. He tells you I can play. You play him. Well, presumably the medical staff also told you you can play him. Yeah, exactly. It can but happen. We don't know that though. It can happen. Hamstring can happen to anyone, even to Matt Hughes running along the Thames. It can happen to anyone at any time. You Have know. you ever suffered a hamstring injury, Hughes? Uh, no. There you go. Because yeah. he stretches properly, he does exactly. yoga, and he drinks a lot of water, and he levitates. <laughs> I expected another Klopp-tastic performance from Liverpool to rip Swansea to shreds, especially after seeing Gary Monk's starting lineup. But Liverpool only squeezed out a 1-0 win thanks to James Wilner's, Milner's penalty, which some people described it dubious. In fact, a uh, message to Neil Taylor, uh, it doesn't matter if you turn your head, if you, if you lift your arms out like some kind of weirdo eagle, you will get called if the ball hits you. But, Matt... Did you feel the same minor letdown by our, our man Jürgen that I did? Not particularly, I think. At this stage, just getting results is the most important thing for him. And I, I do think that playing at Anfield is going to be harder for them than playing away from home just because of the way Klopp sets up. And given Coutinho was sat in a stand with his lovely uh, comfort blanket, I think they were always going to struggle for creativity. So to get the win, keep momentum going, was important. Accidents of geography. If Coutinho had been born in Yorkshire, he, he wouldn't need a blanket, <laughs> would he? Newcastle lose again. Uh, this time it's 5-1 at Crystal Palace. And even Steve McLaren seemed uh, at a loss after the game. Henry, they actually spent good money in the summer and got players who, well, not really my cup of tea, um, a lot of people rated. If you were Ashley... Would you persevere with a former England boss? And if so, why? Ashley is quite loyal, even you know, when he had pressure on him to get rid of managers before, he has stuck by them. 
the, the problem is McLaren is a very good coach, but he's not a very good manager. He could also do with one or two of his players, particularly Colaccini, actually realising that they're professional footballers. He was wearing the armband, and he has to show he's a leader again. So the players are letting him down. Their problems there. Now, they said Watford had too many foreign players, a manager nobody had ever heard of, uh, and not enough Premier League experience. Well, they're actually 11th, uh, funnily enough, one point behind Southampton, who are supposedly the epitome of a well-run club. Julian, should some people be eating uh, humble pie? Not yes. you specifically. No, not me, not me, but humble pies and humble Victoria Sponge and all sorts of cakes because I do think they're doing very well and I think people were really harsh before even seeing them play, before you know knowing what it was all about, that manager, the family and, and all the 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 philosophy that the club has and the owners have. So, well done to Watford and shame on the others. I like I like to think it's the British spine of Cathcart, Watson yes. and uh, Dini that's at the heart of it. Two wins in a row for Big Sam and Sunderland are out of the relegation zone. Uh, yes, it's that easy, isn't it? Husey, uh, we keep presenting Big Sam like some kind of dinosaur and to be fair, occasionally he doesn't help himself with some of the things he says. But... <laughs> I actually watched this game. I even taped it uh, because I'm a masochist. And I noticed that he played a back three for the occasion. They were actually pretty sharp. Um, And he beat your pal Mark Hughes. Is it time to praise him? Yeah, and I think most fair-minded people do. I mean, he's a bit of a caricature of himself sometimes, Big Sam. Uh, But he is... He's a very good manager. He's in that kind of group of very good Premier League managers they'll always finish mid-table Is he in the top tier of British managers? Yeah he is partly because there's so few of them but yeah he certainly is his achievements over the last 20 years are excellent and I thought the way he was treated by West Ham at the end was pretty shoddy really which is sort of um, being forgotten because Bilic has done so well but yeah he does deserve a bit more respect but I wouldn't make him England manager ever Gab, one for you. You wrote about Pep Guardiola today. I just want to know, we all want to know, who is he going to manage next season? Tell us. I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because Pep Guardiola doesn't know. Um, Pep doesn't make plans eight months into in advance. Now, I know there's a very popular line out there whereby he's already made a deal with uh, with Manchester City. It's not a line that's confirmed by, by City or or by Pep's advisors, at least the ones who talk to people so I also logically I don't see why it would be in Pep's interest to commit to Manchester City uh, or to anybody else at this stage of the season I don't even think it's in his interest to commit to Bayern although Bayern who being German and being planners uh, have pretty much said you either go and sign this contract extension now uh, by by the new year or Maybe we part ways at the end of the season and we'll be free to look for another manager. It seems to me um, not very clever on, on Bayern's part. But this is Pep. you got to take the good with the bad with him. and Or not the good with the bad, the good with the indecision, the second guessing, the indecisiveness that often comes from very intelligent people. What's and your gut feeling? Why, why does he do that? Why does he... That's most, he mo- most managers would uh, plan more than six months ahead. Why, why does he uh, behave differently? Is it arrogance or indecision or no? I think it's conceit? because I think it's because he can. I mean, he knows that. But is it an ego thing? Is he sort of playing no, them off? You know, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, he's not. If he wanted money, he, you know, he certainly made enough money. I think he knows that in April he can go and you know ring up City, ring up United, ring up uh, uh, any team in the world with. a possible exception of Barcelona, which is kind of ironic, and say, hey, I'd like to manage you next season. Can we talk? And I think you'd have to be a fool not to 
not to listen to him. You know, in, in four seasons at the at the at Barcelona on three different occasions in January with his team flying, he came out and he said, "Oh, this is too much for me. I don't think I'll be back next year." And he really, really meant it. Uh, then later he changed his mind. So I, I just think it's something you have to accept from. But to his credit, and what people don't know is that. In his first two years at Bayern, this never came up. He was fully committed. He said, I signed for three years, and this is my contract, and you can't go and make me sign a new contract until I'm ready. What's your gut feeling then? My gut feeling is actually he stays at Bayern, unless he you know, wins the treble or something crazy like that, in which case he can say, my work here is done, on to, uh, on to greener pastures, rainier pastures anyway. <laughs> Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Julian Lawrence, Matt Hughes, and making his debut appearance, hopefully not your last appearance either, right? Definitely. It's Henry Winter. Please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week. And remember, you can get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. Uh, It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. Till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.